Hey friends, this is a special episode of the New Line Podcast. I was recently invited to be interviewed by Matt Harrison, the founder of Metasnake and author of his own course, Effective Book Authoring. Over the hour, Matt interviews me asking about programming book authoring, how to plan it, how to write it, and how to market it when you're done. I share my best advice for organizing the process, building your audience, and how to enjoy it along the way. If you're interested in writing a programming book or course, then this episode is for you. Writing a programming course isn't easy, but I've done it enough times now that hopefully the tips inside will be helpful to you. Let's get started. Okay, we've got Nate Murray here. Thanks for joining us, Nate. I'm excited to talk with you and get your insight. You've done a lot of book creation and and I would say publishing at this point. So I think it will be really fun to share your story. Uh, Can you just give listeners or viewers of this, what's your two minute story? Who is Nate and and what do you like to do? What, what's your story? Yeah, sure. So I uh, was, uh, I guess I am a software engineer. Um, and, you know, I didn't get a computer science degree. I struggled actually to really learn how to program when I was early on. You know, I was exposed to programming early on. Uh, but, you know, I struggled for years because I didn't understand like how zero indexed arrays work. And so I was like always super frustrated by a lot of the like tutorials or like books that I would read. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd get an O'Reilly book. Like I remember reading the original like Pearl O'Reilly book and they're like a tour of the Pearl language in three pages. And you like try to read those first three pages and you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. And so um, fast forward a few years, um, I worked for a startup called Ift in San Francisco and then um, decided I wanted to kind of start my own thing. And we started by publishing a few books. We did a book on Angular, um, a book on Angular 2 and a book on React um, that did really well. And really one of my like missions early on was um, just keeping my earlier self in mind. And I was like, I want to show every single step. Like you look at some of these tutorials and you're like, I don't know what NPM is. I don't know what a VPN is. I don't know what SSH is. And it's sort of like, we're going to take you from this like empty folder every single command that you need to know and then bring you all the way to deployment. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my motivation. Awesome. So uh, that's really cool. I, I And I, I say this a lot and this is repeated with other interviewer ease that one of the n- nice things about a book is that you get to take someone on a path or a course with you. And and I, I like that you've made it clear that, you know, there's a specific audience that you're catering to and you want to make sure that you're taking someone who's a newbie or a beginner and not dropping jargon on them or things, assuming things that they don't understand. You have a specific audience and a specific path that you're going to. That's yeah, awesome. exactly. When you write, especially a digital book in like 2020, you're able to update stuff. Um, you're able to like workshop your content really quickly. Like you publish something and then you get feedback on it. You know, we'll publish a new book and we'll find that like uh, 30 people will send us an email like on page 70, I have no idea what you said right here. And you can realize like right away, you're like, oh, on page 70, if we just like add a couple of paragraphs, now all of a sudden those like support emails go away. And so you're able to uh, like really get a feedback loop that you don't get, you know, that you didn't get maybe 10 years ago in a paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's especially important, especially for technical books, which tend to go out of date very quickly, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. with a traditional publisher, your content might be out of date before you even, you know, a year down the line when it gets published. And so right. if you can be agile and quick to push updates, that can be really cool. So let, let's get into that in a little bit. 
Um, so you mentioned some of the books that you've written. Do you want to just enumerate the books that you've written again or mm. talk about what projects you have, I guess? Sure. So yeah, it's kind of grown. So originally we did a book called NG Book, um, which was on AngularJS. And then we did another book called, uh, you know, AngularJS was retired and they redid it into this uh, Angular 2. Mm-hmm. And so we did a book called NG Book 2 and uh, that was super successful. Um, and But even that time as we were writing that book, we'd kind of switched over to React. And so we wrote another book called Full Stack React. It's this like 750 page beast with, uh, we wrote it with a few friends. Um, and then from there, those started to do well. So we did a book on Vue, we did a book on React Native. Um, we did a book on D3, Full Stack D3 with Amelia Wattenberger just uh, maybe 18 months ago. So um, we've done about a dozen, maybe 15 now. Um, in, but they're all basically like web development and um, like most like JavaScript, TypeScript books. Okay. So you started off writing books, but you've sort of migrated now into, I would say, maybe a micro publisher of books. But is that mm. a fair characterization? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in the beginning, we wrote, um, you know, we were releasing maybe a book a year um, and we were doing it essentially full time. And it was, you know, doing well enough that it was supporting two of us doing that. Um, And so with NG Book, for example, it was when Angular was the most popular web framework. Um, Six months in the middle of 2016. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the documentation was frankly, not that good, or it was like pretty out of date. So for the first, you know, two years, our book was more up to date than the documentation. Um, And I think that's one of the key tips actually to understanding uh, doing a ebook, particularly a technical one in like 2020 is that it's, it's not like you just throw it over the wall and you're done. It's almost like, um, information as a service almost where like you basically are going to be keeping it up to date and say because there are plenty of tutorials on the internet already you can go to dev.2 you can go to hacker noon and you can read a bunch of like uh like spotty posts but the problem with those things are one they go out of date and two they kind of stop when things get interesting and so that's really what you're selling when you're selling an ebook you're not selling a bunch of disjointed, outdated blog posts. You have to sell the opposite, which is like, I promise you that when you buy this book, it's completely up to date, it's gonna work. And I'm gonna go through something that's way deeper than anybody else can do for free on a blog post. And that's worth a lot of money to like engineers where we're always learning new stuff all the time. So- Yeah, especially when you consider that time is money, right? If you can can have, someone who's thought about a path again I, I like this notion of a path someone who's thought about the path and they're taking you along and they know what you need to pick up along the way and you're not going to get distracted you don't have to spend your time like oh I now I need to go search on this and f- filter through 20 different blog posts that may or may not be correct on that exactly awesome yeah yeah so we so we did that uh we, we were doing about a book a year we did ng book we did full stack react um, and then we started deciding, you know, we'd, we'd gone through the process quite enough and we'd built pretty big audience. Um, and we realized, you know, we know a lot of people who are super smart. We should try to recruit some of our friends to help us write some of the books. Um, and so that was kind of the seed for like New Line as a publisher. We were fullstack.io, then we rebranded. Um, and now basically our model has kind of shifted a little where I'm still involved in the day-to-day in terms of like editing, shaping, outlining. 
but we've been able to build up a process where um, we have an audience of about 100,000 devs on our email list. Um, and we have a process for like, okay, how do you write these books in a way that's clear? How do you figure out the tooling? How do you get the artwork done? How do you write the email campaigns? How do you promote it? So then that way, by the time you're actually done writing your book, there's actually people there to buy. And so, um, yeah, we've actually got, so yeah, I've kind of transitioned out of being a author into, like I said, being a micro publisher. So we have about like 60 new like courses and books in progress right now that'll be kind of released out in 2021. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So I think you've already addressed why you started writing books just, you know, from your, your experience, you kind of felt like a lot of books left you assume knowledge you didn't have or didn't really cater to your needs. And then we, we also addressed this idea. Well, I guess, I guess let's go, let's go back to this. I, so your original books, it sounds like you self-published them. Why, why did you do that? Did you think about going with a publisher? What, what was the impetus for that? There's like a, a famous John Resig post uh, where he talks about- So you'll have royalties. to just, just say who John Resig is because I don't know that everyone in our audience will know who that is. Absolutely, yeah, where he, he talks about his book. So John Resig, is the creator of jQuery, which is um, a JavaScript library that I don't know the current stats, but I think like recently it was like 60% of sites. Like you think that Angular and, and React has taken over really like so many sites use jQuery. It's still probably 60% of the internet. Um, and at, at its peak, it's probably close to 80. I don't know, it's really high. So sort of talking about Angular, but precursor to React and Angular somewhat. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So it's a JavaScript library that's like a precursor to these like bigger libraries. Um, this guy is a, a dev celebrity, particularly at the time. Um, he's written this code that's on, you know, a massive proportion of the internet. And he writes a book, uh, I believe is on jQuery. And I think he did it with A-Press or something. Uh, and his royalty check was like under $2,000. It was like, extremely small. So you basically have this like celebrity writing about something he's an expert on. And the, when you actually look at it, the royalties are super small. You hear about this in the book publishing industry. You hear about this in Hollywood. You hear about this in sort of all of these industries where they pay out on royalties. And there's um, quite a bit of like clever accounting, you know, here's in the music industry, right? Where you get your advance, but then like you spend the rest of your career earning it back. And that's, that's sort of how the traditional publishing industry still works today. And it was like, Okay, I'm not doing this. There, there's basically two reasons to write a book, right? One is reputation and one is money. If you want like the reputation of like getting that animal book and you want to go to Barnes and Noble and like show your mom your name is like in this, on the shelf, then like write for O'Reilly um, and you'll get that street cred. You know, O'Reilly's changing their business. Uh, does it have the same street credit once did? I'm not sure. I think it's mostly people our age who actually see that. I think the younger generation maybe doesn't necessarily, but all that to say is there's, there's a path to take that's like, you know, there's still good street cred to have being an O'Reilly author. But if you want to make money, you need to self-publish. Like, uh, or, you know, yeah, let's say that. You need to self-publish because instead of getting like 5% of the royalties, you're getting like 95% of the royalties, which is a completely different ball. You know, if you think of like how many copies do you have to sell at 5% of the royalties to actually make a living wage, it's like 
almost no one does it. Like maybe the top 10 or something. They're outliers, but yeah. 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 There's a post um, that someone sent to me a, a while ago. It's like, oh, I've sold half a million dollars from O'Reilly, right? And then you, you read further and they're like, and I'm the second most popular book on O'Reilly, right? So that's definitely an outlier. So like our book, NG book, maybe never even heard of it. It sold $400,000 a year each year for the first two years. And so like the, the, the economics for self-publishing, if you can do it, are just completely different, right? Like the number two most popular O'Reilly book versus like some book you probably never even heard of. Mm-hmm. Now, did you, did you even consider publishing then or John Resig's rant just sort of like, uh, I really want to book, write a book, but I'm, now I'm just going to self-publish. What, what was the, the- Yeah, I didn't necessarily consider working with a publisher just because it was, um, it was just so clear mm-hmm. that, you know, the, that the royalty rates we were able to get at the time, you know, this is 2016, I guess. Uh, we're not going to be like sustainable for a living wage. Okay. Now, were there other examples of self-publishers that you were sort of inspired by or looked to and said, okay, that's the model I want to follow? Or was this sort of greenfield for you? Um, I don't know that I necessarily had like another ebook publisher that I had seen like real numbers on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I thought was like a model example. But I do think that I was inspired by like a couple people. Um, so there's like Amy Hoy. She has a course that's like 30 by 500 where it talks about like basically doing content products. Um, there's another teacher. His name is Ramit Sethi. His brand is like, I will teach you to be rich. But he also has um, courses that are basically on like how to do email campaigns, how to find a market, how to write a landing page, how to learn copywriting. Um, and his courses aren't cheap. They're like, and I've bought like five of them and I've made more than I paid for them every time Uh, because like actually there are these kind of tried and true methods you can follow through and what you find is actually a lot of the people who are doing this right they don't necessarily like share all their secrets in on like Hacker Noon Um, and so because why would you, right? Like you don't want to kind Open of draw the floodgates. Yeah. Like I'm happy telling you now that like we made whatever over a million dollars with a book on Angular because like we've already made that money. Um, and it's going to be hard to like outrank us in SEO and all these things. Like we have a moat there. But there's basically a lot of these courses that do like so well, you'd be just shocked to learn about it that they like don't necessarily like talk about how much they're making. And so I think you kind of get, you kind of smell that in the air. You kind of meet a couple of people who are doing that and you realize like, oh, okay, I can do this. But I think what's key there to understand is that it's never about like the code. As programmers, one of the things that happens that we see with like the authors even that we work with or that mistakes I've made in the past, which is you think like you write the book in your closet for like, nine months or six months, right? And then you like announce it on Twitter and you post it on Hacker News. And then like, you know, sometimes you win the day and you're on the top page of Hacker News for a few hours or like more often than not, you don't. And you're like, shoot, I just, I spent like all my nights and weekends on this. Like, uh, I guess nobody wants what I have. In real, and so they think like, oh, maybe, you know, I wanted to add a chapter on testing. Oh, I want I maybe I should have added a chapter on deployment. 
So you like add the chapter on testing and you're like, ah, oh, I added a chapter on testing and like just crickets again. You're like, ah, oh, this is, this is garbage. And, and really it's not that what you have is garbage. What you have is actually probably pretty good, but it's that you have to learn. You already know how to code. You've like learned how to write, but you actually have to learn how to sell. And if you don't like close, like you have to iterate on selling as much as you iterated on writing the book in the first place. If you're spending, when you look at your calendar about the amount of time that you spent writing your book versus the amount of time you spent marketing it, it should be at least half. Honestly, it should be like 70%. So if you spent like three months in your basement, like writing this book, then you need to like have nine months in your basement selling this book. And like almost nobody does that. Do you think that can be done concurrently? It needs to be, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not work on the book and then spend nine months. Yeah, I'm exaggerating just in that timeline. But yeah, ex- yeah, you for sure, you should reverse it. Okay. Like you really should be spending nine months building your audience and then actually selling a product comes at the end. It's okay. like audience first product is really what you should be building. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I'd like to dig, maybe dig into that a little bit. Do you have, I mean, if you were to offer like a resource for, I guess, coming around to most people who are, I mean, this course is catered to technical people who want to write a technical nonfiction book, right? And, and so a lot of them are like, hey, I'm, I do computers because I want to stay away from sales and marketing because that's like, whatever bad or icky and I just want to look at my computer I don't want to interact with people so do you have any resources that you would recommend for someone to maybe help with the marketing or sales I I I think you mentioned some courses is that what you would point people to or do you have anything else that you think are good resources along those lines I don't know this is completely self-serving but that's like why we started New Line which is like that there's a whole group of people who are programmers who are like, I don't want to have to write the landing page. I don't want to have to write the emails. Like I'm a good programmer. I'm a good writer. I can code and teach, but I don't want to deal with the rest of that. And so like, that's what we do at new line is like, mm-hmm. I partner with those people and like, it's sort of full service of like making that happen or at least pushing them to know what to do to make it happen. Okay. Well, so like, let's say you're not like, going to no. share your secrets, but we'll, we'll say new line is a self-publishing no. as a service. Uh, right. So that, that is what we do, but I'm happy to talk more about the details and share all the secrets. So the other part is like, let's say that you're like, I'm just a programmer and I'm, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to sell. I don't want to have to sell. Mm-hmm. If you just say like, I don't want to have to sell, then you're not going to make any money at it. Like you I still run into this all the time where we do, for example, like time bound sales. And I'm just like, ah, I feel so scammy to be like, oh, the sale ends on Friday. And then like send someone an email on Friday and to be like last chance, right? Yeah. And so for years, we never did that. And then what we actually, we started, we tried it a couple of times and then it's just like crazy. The numbers are crazy for like, when you're like, hey, the sale ends right now. If you want to buy it at this cheaper price, you need to buy it. So like, you have to do that to make any money. And then if you're like, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to learn. I think um, there's a lot of good books on copywriting. There's a lot of like classic books on copywriting that are important to, to read. And I can give you a list after this, but like um, there's uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't know them off the top of my head, but I'll give you a list and we can uh, we can okay. switch them in. But sure. Um, there are books on copywriting and it's about like learning how to sell. You know, there's a if you just want to read like one book, there's a book that's called like Copy That Sells. It's mm -hmm. pretty short. It's pretty good. Um, but you know, you don't actually have to. like read direct mail flyers to learn how to be convincing to people. It uh -huh. would help, but you don't need to. Really, it's just about like write something that people find useful. Okay, so here's a key idea. People think like I need to, to write this book and I need to hold back my best ideas or else why would anyone pay for, for it, right? Mm -hmm. If I give away my best idea for free, why will anyone pay for my book? Yeah. And you basically have to flip that on your head. Your biggest risk isn't that someone reads your best idea and then they are like, oh, thanks, I don't need you. Your biggest risk is that like nobody hears about you or knows about you at all. It's completely an attention game. And so it's like, how do I provide something like constantly, the pe consistently, the people know me, they know my name and they're like, I know that whatever he does is good. And then you sell a book. So like think of the people that you know in the tech sphere right now. So it's 2020 November. Um, there are like JavaScript bloggers. I don't know if the audience watching this JavaScript, there's like say Flavio Copez, for example. I don't know if you ever search for pretty much anything web development, but you'll come across Flavio Copez's like blog posts and they're super good and they're pretty short. They're like 500 words, but he's blogged like every day for like two years. Um, or if you think about, um, uh, you know, who's up and coming, I don't know how to say his last name, Josh Kumo. He has, uh, he's been publishing these like super high quality blog posts recently that are like uh, how to do animated squigglies in CSS or how to do, you know, how to look up operators. You basically, for whatever your space is, mm -hmm. think about the people that you know as sort of this like name brand developer and try to deconstruct what they do. Like literally make a chart. Why, like, yeah, there, there's a system behind why they're popular, right? And, and what, what, what is leading to that? Yeah, how many times per day does Wes Boss tweet, right? It's like 50, it's like crazy high. And so people will look at Wes Boss and be like, oh, I could never get to 100,000 followers like him. And then they're like tweeting like every other day, one time or something. And you're like, no, look, you need to know like where the bar is and in an analytical sense and be like, Wes Boss is who he is because he's like at it all the time. Yeah. You look at um, Kent Dodds, he is producing like super high quality content all the time. And so if you want to like make a living out of this, if you want to like really make money at it, look at who's doing it well and count like how many blog posts per month are they releasing? How many tweets are they releasing? Yeah, but Kent is also and along the way to your point is like, oh, I'm working on a new course. I'm, you know, he's blogging and he's shit and tweeting about that along the way. And, and, and I, I think there's also an amplifier, right? When you have good quality content and then it starts getting shared. Like just yesterday, I probably had my most famous tweet ever. And, nice. <laughs> and it was because I responded to someone who had 100,000 response, who had 100,000 followers and it was the top response to that. And it was mm -hmm. sort of an ironic tweet, but, you know, I got a bunch of followers from that, whether they're good followers or not, it's kind of weird, but it, it's like, yeah, you have to, you know, if you're just going to sit back and, 
you know, I just want to write a book, but I don't want to blog or I don't want to engage at all, then you really are doing yourself a disservice. Admittedly, like there are people who aren't necessarily writing a book to make a ton of money, right? They want, they just want to hold a book in their hand or they're doing it for a passion project. But, you know, if you're trying to treat it as a business or like a legitimate side hustle, then you, you really need to, like you said, not only dedicate time to writing the book, but also dedicate time to the promotion and uh, audience building, I guess, and, and selling as well. Yeah, if you want to get better at Twitter, probably the most concise resource for like really mastering that is um, uh, David Perel, and I believe Matthew Kobach is his name. Mm -hmm. They have a like a one hour webinar where they sit and talk about like how to just kill it at Twitter. And um, they've thought a lot about it and it, they basically have this like really approachable like uh, system essentially for being able to persist consistently write good content. It's super good. It's worth a watch. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, a couple courses on, on how to, uh, you know, be a Twitter expert or whatnot. And I think it's similar to blogging that like you have to a little bit harder, maybe in Twitter and that like blog, you can write compelling content. You can make it as long as you want Twitter. You're sort of confined somewhat so that can maybe help you or harm you depending on your style there. Um, and I think, I think the key thing with this sort of marketing is, um, okay. It's, it's largely psychological. It's about like being consistent mm -hmm. and believing that your consistency will pay off. Those two things are so simple and so difficult. Yeah. So being consistent, one, if you are launching your book in 90 days, you should aim to have a new blog post out um, like every three days. Like you should have, you'd be like, okay, I'm launching in 90 days. I'm going to launch 30 blog posts between now and then. And then even when you write those blog posts, your distribution isn't guaranteed. You have to be the one to post it on Reddit. You have to be the one to post on Hacker News. You have to be the one to write it on Twitter. And then you can't just like post those blindly. You actually have to do it in a way that is like channel relevant. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, so one is just, you need to write and you need to publish consistently. And the second is you need to just believe that it'll work because um, the beginning is really lonely. You're just writing into the void and it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it takes time. Yeah. So let's uh, maybe, I, I know you said this is a whole nother podcast, but maybe let's dive into this a little bit. Sure. I think a lot of the audience will be familiar with Reddit, obviously, and probably Hacker News. How, how do you promote on that without getting like modded away? Hmm. Um, so the founder of Priceonomics talks about this idea he calls the bump. The bump is when you give your content the best chance it can possibly have. So the bump happens when you get on the front page of Product Hunt and you get voted up. You get on the front page of Hacker News and you get voted up. Um, when you get the bump, you can't control how viral it, your content is going to go after that. That is just like completely chance. Okay. But if you get the bump, 
then your content will go as far as it's going to go. If you have the bump, your content will have its chance at the world according to how good it is. If it's super good, you'll take off and you'll be off to the races. If it's mediocre, maybe you'll get the bump and then fall off. So you can't manufacture greatness, but you can manufacture the bump and you need to try, especially for um, something that you've invested a lot of time in. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you spent, you know, a couple of weeks, like 40 hours doing this like super detailed data post. Like if you look like Amelia Wattenberger's stuff, right? Where, uh, so she does a lot of D3 visualization. She has a post called Thinking in React Hooks that's just like gorgeous. And if you write that post and you know it's good, then you wanna do everything you can to like get the bump. So you ask your friends to upvote you on Hacker News. You share it on Twitter. You like send out people to your email list. Uh, you should have an email list. We haven't even talked about that yet. Um, and you're, we spend a lot of time on things and crafting them and trying to make them perfect. And we expect like, I'm going to serve this up to you and you're all going to eat it and love it. And like, that's not really how the world works. Everyone is fighting for attention with fantastic projects every day. And if you want your project to sort of get people's eyeballs, you sometimes have to kind of like work to manufacture or to uh, like invest in those channels to make sure that you're being seen there. But at the end of the day, even if you try as hard to get the bump and you don't, you still have SEO. Mm -hmm. SEO takes six months for it to play out. But again, that's one of those like long games that really pay off um, if you're investing in on a regular basis. Okay, so does that make sense? What I'm saying about yeah, I I, I guess my you know if you if you think about like I, I'm writing a book and if you generally it seems like if you post that sort of thing anything that's commercial or self-serving right, um, it, it get like oh shadow banned or people aren't going to like it. So what what's the angle there to to I guess promote yeah without every community. Every community has their own personality. So like, that's why it's hard, right? Because every community is trying to, social media is just like real life in that if everything you say is self-serving, people don't wanna be around you. Mm -hmm. So it's really about just like giving value in this like earnest way and then like when you've given some value, then having appropriately timed call to actions, mm -hmm. for example. So do, you, do, do, do these 30 blog posts have call to actions in them or are they just more, here's information? Yeah, so, well, okay. So one of the things that's like a typical thing is like a lead magnet, it would be like the industry term, right? So mm -hmm. this would be like, oh, get my free PDF on all of the React hooks or something and like put in your email. And when you put in your email, you're gonna be like joining my email list. And so then you write a blog post that's like good. Like in none of this, am I ever saying like that your content isn't good. It, that's like table stakes. Your content has to be like good right off the bat, even for anyone to like click in the first place. So nothing that, there's no trick. There's no trick of like, how do I trick people into giving them my email? No, like it has to be good right off the bat. So you, so you have maybe some sort of lead magnet would be like, 
get this interview that I had with Matt, uh, like free video by putting in your email and we'll like send you more information on how to write your own book, right? And so it's like, you're really getting something valuable. If you create something, you can charge whatever you want for it and you can charge an email address and people kind of understand, like if I want that, I'm putting in my email, I'm gonna get your emails and then I can unsubscribe at any time, right? Like we're not resubscribing people who wanna unsubscribe. So I think that's like a key thing is like a lead magnet. So for example, one of the things that we've done that's been fairly successful is we have a course called Tiny House, which it's this like React and Node masterclass. It's higher end, it's like three or $400 for this course. It's 30 hours. We took 30 of those hours, uh, sorry, we took three of the hours from that course. They're all about GraphQL and building your own node server. And we packaged up into its own course. So it's our full course experience, full course platform, all the like bells and whistles. It's three hours of video. So it's just as good as something you'd buy on, you know, whatever. And we say like, hey, free GraphQL course, just put in your email and you can watch it. Hmm. Um, and then we posted that on the resources for um, on Reddit. So on Reddit, subreddit GraphQL, there's like a list of printed resources. We submitted to the mods like, hey, we have this free GraphQL course. It is a free GraphQL course and it's really good. Even and though the, there's the cost is the email address They're They're like, okay, yeah, it's free and that there's no money exchange. Yeah, you just have to enroll. Yeah, okay, okay, enroll. And so it's part of the like official resources in the GraphQL subreddit. And we get, yeah. you know, a certain number of people every month who then they're on our email list now. And uh, we like in the course, course, we say like, if you like it, go buy it. Yeah, go buy the rest. Mm -hmm. If you look at the React.js subreddit, if you look at the sidebar on the React.js subreddit, huge React community, you see Tyler McGinnis, you see, uh, I don't know, Scrimba, you see Kent Dodds, all these guys uh, and, and, and girls, they're like, they're, they're selling courses, but they're like, oh, take Kent Dodds free React course. Well, Kent Dodds is like, he makes his living by selling courses. So yeah, it's a free course, but like, if you're in, you're in. And now he gets to talk to you and have this relationship with you and, and sell your product. And so that's what you basically need is you need these channels where you can talk to people on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. uh, I like, th this is awesome. Um, I mean, I think there's so many places we could go with this. Um, so maybe we can pop the stack a little bit and come back to book writing a little bit, and then we'll sure. come back to like more of this stuff, which I think is just wonderful. Um, so I think you right now, you're, you say you're, you're more of a publisher or so, self-serving to or serving self-publishers or people who want to sort of outsource a lot of the I, I guess grunt work or non-sexy work to to sell a book that that's what you're working on right now so um i imagine if people are watching this they could approach you and and talk to you about maybe proposing a book for with your platform um can we talk about what the process is like for writing a book sure. i guess for your platform is that okay Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So the, the way, and also just so this generalizes the sure. way that I'm going to tell you of how we write books is that's actually my suggestion for how you should write a book regardless. Sure. Um, and I have a lot of details I, because I'm in the weeds of this. Um, if I get a little like 
long in the tooth, you can hit, tell me to fast forward because I have very specific actionable tasks. So awesome. Okay. I think the first thing is you have to have an outline and you need to make sure that outline is like compelling in the first place. Okay. So that's going to save you the most pain down the road. So it's really like, how do you workshop? Is this outline any good? You can invite all your friends and say like, is this outline good? And they're all going to say yes, because they're your friends and they're, yep. you're not going to learn anything from that. They don't want to say ugly things to you. <laughs> exactly. So how do you test your outline? It's a hard problem. There's no easy answer. I think a good idea is if you like want to put in the work and you can write blog posts for some of the subtopics and you can find you're getting like signal, that's helpful. You know, I'll send out tweets about, you know, some, you know, some specific thing like typing props with React components and they don't go anywhere. And then I'll send another tweet about like doing a style guide and it gets like more retweets than I've ever got before. And like, you can feel it when you start sharing these ideas that there's like an electricity there that people are interested. And so you first off need to like make sure that you have something that's worth spending your time on at all. Yeah, often we have blinders and we're like, this, this is what I need to do, right? And just because you think that, one thing I like to say is you're, you're, you are not your audience. Mm -hmm. And as much as you like to think you are, or maybe you're writing the book for your past self or something, um, you need to sort of separate yourself and realize that your audience is actually a, a persona and you need to appeal to that persona. Absolutely. And that's such an important part too of like, pick it. That's maybe even step two, which is pick the specific person that you're writing to. What often happens is we're like, oh, does my person know how to install NPM? I'm a JavaScript guy. So it's all my examples are web development. Sure. No, um, like, do people know, does my audience know how to do NPM? And you'll like go in circles around like, you're going to write and you'll dig deeper, 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 deeper until you're like explaining, you know, how like bit arithmetic works. And you're just like, oh, I'm never going to finish this book. And it's because you don't really know who you're writing to. So what I recommend is that you actually pick a specific person, like a little person, like who, like, where I might be like, oh, I'm writing this book for my friend, Devin, who I worked with at IFT. And I know that he's like been a programmer for 10 years and he's like, but he's moved into management and he doesn't actually know like the latest in web development or whatever, like, or I'm writing for this junior person. This is what they just came out of boot camp. You know, like literally like write down the name of a person or better three people mm -hmm. who you're writing to. And even better is you like ask them to be involved in the process. Be like, can you read my chapters? So this isn't a made up name. This is like someone, you know, yeah. Like literally write for someone that, you know, mm -hmm. and then ideally they're not, they're, they're not super timid to tell you something that might hurt your feelings. It's a hard problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to tell them like, if you don't understand it, you know, and then, you know, that's how Khan Academy even got started, which was, he was trying to teach mathematics to his niece on zoom or not zoom, but like video chat. Mm -hmm. And so that's also a very good idea. Again, like often we want to take these shortcuts where it's just like, no, I have an idea and I want to write it and have it a book. And you can do that and it's your own time. But if you really want it to like work when you're done, workshop it, give live webinars to people on your email list. You have to have an email list. Um, uh, every time you finish a chapter, go through that chapter. And if two people show up, like, great. That's two people who are giving you a couple of hours of your time. They're going to give you feedback. So um I think that's basically the first thing is like outline, then pick who you're teaching, the literal name of an actual person who you can convince to like read your material.
Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that you can do, there's more clever stuff you can do if you're like really into it, right? Like you hear people talk about like testing book titles with Facebook ads when they don't even have the book written, right? Sure. You should do that. That's smart. But, you know, maybe it's overkill. Yeah, okay. maybe not for your first book. Yeah, not for your books. Yeah. Um, okay, so then from there, it's like, I've written out what my outline is. I feel like it's pretty good. Then what I would typically recommend is that you write the code, like the final code example or examples. Like I'm assuming you're writing a programming book. I don't know how to write fiction. Um, like write out all the code and write like the final version of the code. Mm-hmm. But with one key difference, you've probably written something like this before. Just start over at the beginning and keep your editor open, but also keep a text file open where you write down every single command. Every single command you type, every time you Google something, write it down. Every time you find a bit of documentation, keep the link. This is your lab notebook. Totally. If you're coding and you hit an error, write down that error that you found because you're the expert. You're the expert. You know this material. You're teaching other people and you still hit that error. Like that's a teachable moment that you can include in your notes and you should include that in your book. Awesome. Um, So build your final lab. You have your notes. Now, easier said than done. Now you have to decide like, how am I going to split this up, right? You break it up. You might actually find that you split the app. Like if it's a full stack app, maybe you split it into like four different versions. If you are writing different code examples, maybe they're just like siloed apps. I don't know. It just depends on your book. Um, I actually think one of the key things you want to do when you teach it, you have to decide how are we going to teach this app? I think that it's important to kind of go in this idea of like progressive resolution that you go in, like some people will say like, oh, the first half of my course is the back end, and the second half of my course is the front end or something. I actually feel like if, if the point of the course is to teach both, you should go from front to back and then start over again, front to back. And then you add your migrations and then you add more students. Yeah. yeah. And yeah so I like to think of like a spiral that's either getting wider or going up, right? So you're, you're revisiting, reteaching, but also expanding it while you're doing it. Exactly, exactly. Rather than just like spending two weeks writing this perfect back end and then two weeks doing this perfect front end. It's just too much. Um, so then if you kind of decided like, how am I going to chunk this? How am I going to teach it? For me, again, I like to just lay everything out for the next step because it's too hard to just sit there and write your final manuscript while you're like still writing the code and it's just like too much. So that's, so it's like, write your outline, write your code, write your notes, decide how you're going to teach it. Now split it up into chapters or modules, however you're doing it. And then like for me, I use Markdown. And then um, I'll actually take those Markdown files and I'll stub them out. Well, I'll put my outline and code block in that Markdown. I've written custom tools and source. Actually help um, import code from disk. Um, it uses TreeSitter, which is uh, the like GitHub code parser. And what you can actually say is like, okay, import the foo function. And it'll actually find the lines of code from the, so you have like the files on disk mm-hmm. and then you'll have the markdown file and it'll actually like slurp in the code from on disk. And it's so much help, more helpful because you're not copying and pasting code, which introduces errors and is a pain change. That's called TreeSitter. It's um, robust against line changes. TreeSitter is the parser that we use. The tool that we use is called CQ, just the two letters CQ. So if you search for like full stack IO CQ. Okay, so this um, is a tool that you wrote. They have build tools, they're open source. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a tool that we wrote, but we use it for all of our books. Okay. Um, there's a similar one called like code grip, um, which is a bit, maybe a bit more powerful, but what we've done is it's made for publishing and it's made for like importing lines of code. Okay. All that to say, what I'm saying is even if you're copying and pasting, I set up my markdown file. So everything is teed up for me. When I wake up tomorrow, I just know like, oh, I'm on this file and I've already put in the code here like earlier. Okay. And now all I'm just doing is like typing in and filling out like the explanation. Mm -hmm. And then you just do that till you're done. I mean, you have like the, the parallel threads of like marketing, sharing the ideas, tweeting about it, getting reviews. Like there's all these parallel threads happening at the same time. But in terms of just like producing the manuscript, it's really about just like making sure when you wake up the next day, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. So like, like, uh, 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 Sean Wang, he calls this like, uh, uh mise en pause, like writing, you're like set, setting your table, you're getting your ingredients out, uh, right before you cook. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I like sort of your, your, I guess, system for, for outlining, coming up with the code, breaking the code apart, inserting the outline into a markdown and then just going and filling in that that's awesome um and so then when you're done i guess uh new line has their own tools that take the markdown and will generate the final book from that um you know we still use leanpub for our pdfs okay we have um i every year i get fed up and i determine that i'm going to move off of leanpub and I'm like, oh, we'll just use LaTeX. Like, how hard can it be? Mm -hmm. Turns out it's really hard. And LeanPub is super good uh, for typesetting PDFs. Um, getting a production-ready PDF is, like, really involved. LaTeX is super annoying. You can get to 90% in about two hours. And closing that last 10% is, like, I just have never had time to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Been there, done that, written my own. I have my own tools that don't, we all don't do. work yeah. from markdown, but work from restructured text and generate law, yeah. generate law tech that, you know, can be in a printed book, nice. but it, it's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I guess fun if you like playing around and debugging law tech all day. Okay. So, uh, using lean pub, I mean, the course talks about using lean pub as a tool. Um, as far as like getting feedback during the process, I, I mean, do you sort of send an author off and, and say, come back when you've got the manuscript complete? Do you want a rough draft? Uh, what's the, sure. the process look like? Yeah, and just before I get there on tooling. So then now, yeah, now we do have custom new line tools where you can read it online. That doesn't use LeanPub at all. It's just like custom stuff. Um, I do think that actually, if anyone listening thinks they're like, oh, I'm not gonna use LeanPub, I'm gonna write my own tools. I actually think that the web and PDF generation from Chrome is super close. That like, I think if you use, for example, we've started using DocuSource for some of our internal tooling. Um, but I actually think that the like open source lean pub competitor is going to be like web-based because it's way easier to style. The key thing there is just being able to add like PDF data, which you can do with this toolkit called PDFTK. I, we don't have to get into that, but I'm just saying is that like, I actually don't think you need like LaTeX anymore. There's, I see a vision for self-publishing book tools that is based on the web that I haven't seen anybody make and I just don't have time, time to build. So if you're making that, reach out and I have lots of ideas. Cool. Interesting. PDF TK. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for editing process, yeah. You know, right now we're still pretty small. So like I'm involved in like looking at and reading through and giving feedback on like every book that goes out. I mean, one of the other reasons that I decided not to self-publish that I decided to self-publish and not go with the publisher was that there are some publishers that I feel have the, um, the quality varies a lot. That is a polite way of saying they produce a lot of crap. Um, there are like content factories in the programming space where like they don't even have their own editors. They just like get other people to like review for free and they don't even look at it. They just like publish a book. It's just like, they make a lot of money. So I guess you can see why they do it. But it's important to me that one of the things about New Line is that you're getting sort of this like handcrafted experience, even as we scale up, is that like I'm personally reviewing each thing. So we have other editors who are like maybe correcting grammar or helping structure, but the process is like when you finish something, you send it to me. And I think if you're self-publishing your own book that you need that other person, like you have one other person read through your book. They're so clearly going to see things that you just assumed that you will never see until you've like publish if you don't have someone else look at it. Yeah. I mean, you can even see that in yourself. This is something I recommend to people is they take whatever, you know, if a lot of people are using Markdown or something, I recommend, okay, when you're doing your editing, don't do it in Markdown, generate either a web page from it or a PDF and then edit based on something that looks different, right? Because just the visual difference there can make a huge difference. Another thing that I recommend is actually making an audio book from your book. So reading it, which is going to use a different portion of your brain, and you're going to catch a lot of things uh, while you're doing that process that just just because you're you've been so hands down, like in your editor or whatnot, typing your book that flipping things around, giving yourself a fresh perspective can help. But it, I also totally agree, like someone else is going to be able to spot things that you just weren't even paying attention to. That's good advice. Yeah, I noticed when I write emails, I'll often look at it on my phone. I'll like mm -hmm. write on the computer, of course, and then I'll read it on my phone and like check in on the formatting and just like, I'm, I'm able to just focus on one line at a time. That's a really good advice. Yeah. Um, I think another thing is too, is you can just, you should just use like Grammarly. Sure. Yeah. Automate what you can. Yeah. Gram Grammarly does a pretty good job without sending a lot of noise. I think it does, picks up a lot of things that why not use it? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, um, so we've, we've touched a little bit about sort of building up momentum around, I guess, before your book's going on, you know, getting, trying to get people onto a mailing list, blogging. Um, so let's talk about maybe a launch. How do you promote a launch? Yeah. I mean, ideally you want people talking about your course or like expecting it before you launch. Mm -hmm. there's, not, there's like no worse feeling than launching to crickets. It's, you've worked so hard on it. It's depressing. If that happens, know that you get to launch again because that's just like, if you launch to crickets, nobody noticed that you launched. So just yeah. try again. Mm -hmm. It's You have to pick, you know, it might take a day or two because you feel like you got punched in the gut and wasted your time, but like, whatever, just try again. So how do we avoid that? Um, it's 
a couple of things. So, okay, our flow for New Line, like our business model is we write blog posts and people find those blog posts, typically through SEO. It's mostly organic, Um, which again, organic traffic is like very psychologically weird. You feel better about being on the front page of Hacker News because then like all your friends saw it. But it turns out that only gives you one day and you want to make money for like five years. Mm -hmm. So don't let your like dopamine center trick you that like Hacker News is where you want to be. You can make a lot of money and like never be on Hacker News. So it's like, it's a, this, but SEO takes a long time. So, but still you need to be writing blog posts. People find our blog posts, they read them and they're like, oh, that was good. And then somewhere on the page, we say like, get this other thing if you give us your email. Uh So like get a free sample chapter, get this PDF, get this video. Because like email, even in 2020 is like the best channel. It's better than Twitter. It's better than like anything else. Sure. Um, Because everyone has to read their email. And if you can provide value through your emails over a long period of time, they will like stay with you. We have people who've been on email list for five years and they still read our emails. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that right? Most people are terrible at writing emails. Terrible. You're just like, oh, I have a thing. It's again, that same thing about like, are your emails self-serving? Are they providing value? So one of the things that we've tried to do is we've had to build our own tools because we include a lot of like code in our emails. And they're not just like images. We actually like syntax highlight are like the HTML in our emails. Um, and I don't know if anybody else that does it. I'm sure someone else does, but I don't know of them. And they haven't released uh, their tools at least. Right. Yeah, we haven't either. So, I mean, but not not because we're trying to keep them secret. They're just, you know, janky. So the what I'm getting at is you want to have blog posts. Then people give you their email because they trust you. Then you send them stuff via email. So when we have a launch, for example, we will send a week, two weeks, two months of emails where, uh, you know, we just are launching a book this week on Angular Universal. So we'll send you an email that's like, what is Angular Universal? Why do you need to server-side render your Angular apps? There's another email that's like, here are all these like very specific details that are different between like when you server render your app versus when you, you know, whatever. We go into like, these are like, just as good as any blog post, but you're getting them in your email. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're sort of saying like, hey, we've got this other course, like here's a sample of the course. And then we say like, all right, we've got this course, like go and buy it. So, you know, we might send you 19 emails before we ask for a sale in a 20th. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like a lot. Most people don't like to get marketing emails because most marketing emails are bad, but we have a list of over a hundred thousand people because it's our emails are good. And like, I write them. I, my dad is on the email list and I know that he's going to read them. And so like my friends who I worked with are going to read these. Um, and so like, it's just about showing up and making sure that they're like super valuable, as good as you can do every time. And then if it's good enough, people will stay subscribed and then you, they trust you and then they'll buy your product. So it's about like building trust and then like selling a book is like at the way end of this like trust building process. Do you repurpose the chapters in your emails at all? We started to, we started to do it more. Yeah. You know, cause you can't really fit a whole chapter in an email, but you can take some of these like smaller ideas mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I, I know that we're getting short on time here, but this is really good. Um, so 
what advice would you give to a new author before writing a book? Build an audience. Build an audience. Okay. So blogging and then collecting their email. That's yeah. Build an email list. Like I wouldn't try to sell a book if I didn't have a thousand people on my email list that had signed up within like the last six months. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we talk about that in the course of the importance of emails and using an email list. Okay. And, and there's a question here, plans for a future book. Obviously it sounds like you've got lots of plans for lots of books. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's just go, you, you've already sort of talked about this, the money aspect. So it sounds like you made, uh, you sound like from the first book you made over a million dollars, I guess, split between two people. Um, and I imagine, you know, subsequent books have been sort of depending on popularity of toolkit or time frame in JS years, which can impact things sort of on same order of magnitude with yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it really depends on the books, but like, you know, um, in, you know, at the, I haven't looked at the most recent numbers, but at the beginning of the year, like five of our past seven authors or maybe it was seven out of our last 10 authors, they'd made like, over 50k in just royalties so that's like their share mm -hmm. um, so yeah so we've got like a whole business out of it now so it's awesome it's been doing pretty good that's awesome that. um have have you seen covid impact sales at all or for positive or negative we're not big enough uh-huh I, I don't know i think it's like we're still small enough that like what we do matters more than sort of the macro environment you would think that like actually uh, COVID would help because more people are like wanting to do online learning. People are like looking to get a better job. So I do think that like the macro environment is like towards um, personally accountable teachers sharing their best teaching with like individual students. The macro conditions are like positive for that. But like, mm -hmm. um, but for our business, I don't, you know, we're more influenced by how good we do on a day-to-day -day basis, like launching new things that people like rather than, you know, it's not like we ran a bar where people stop showing up. They still, yeah, you, you've got the email list. And as long as a good chunk of them are still employed and you're still providing value there, you know, what uh, uh, one insightful comment I had from an, another author interview was, you know, once you've proven that you can sell a product and in this case a book right i mean there, it's one thing to have a launch and not, you don't have anything to crickets it's another thing to have a launch and sell it to five people right because mm -hmm. if you sell it to five people what that tell and they're not your mom or your dad um what that indicates is that there is a market and it, at that point it's probably a numbers game right a funnel game where like you said you should be focusing on sales and getting eyeballs or people to your content and trusting you enough that they'll at some point pull out their credit card. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have, you've built up a great email list and sounds like you've really worked on that process. So I, I imagine you can continue to do well, all things considering. Right. And that's the other thing is, is like you, the email list is your platform and you own that you're not reliant you know if amazon whatever kicks you out for whatever reason or someone else decided 
you know, they're going to cancel you for whatever reason. It's, you're sort of impervious to that because you own the platform. It's good on the scale of those kinds of platforms. I mean, you, there's still risks of like being blacklisted or Gmail moving you to the promotions tab or something. But yeah, on, on the whole, it's pretty good. It's better than most. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really insightful. I appreciate your time. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share or? I don't think so. Okay. So I think this has been really good. Um, sort of two questions then, how can viewers stay in touch with you? And then if someone who's watching this might be interested in working with New Line, what would be the way to, to approach that as well? Sure, yeah. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Fullstack.io. So that was our old company name. I'm trying to get the New Line handle on Twitter, but haven't, haven't got it yet. And then um, you can find our website at newline.co. Um, and if you want to, um, if you want to like write a book or a course with us, you can find the link to apply there in the footer. Okay. Um, you can also just email me um, about, uh, at, you can email me at nate at fullstack.io. And you can email me to ask any questions about anything that I talked here today. If you want to work with me, if you're just trying to make it as a solo author, I'm happy to help. There's plenty more details we can dig into and so Nate at fullsec.io. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Nate. Appreciate yeah. it.